Now, gentlemen. The defendant is not guilty. But somebody in this courtroom is. Unmitigated temerity. Okay, 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 okay. Yo, yo, yo. Welcome back to the OK Gatsby Season 3. To chill a mockingbird. All right. Thanks, Kev. Yeah, I'm Kevin. I'm Terrence. We're we're on chapter 19 and 20. The The courtroom is coming to its climactic middle. Dramatic (laughs) middle. Yeah, yeah. The we're gonna see the closing arguments today. I mean, like, so yeah. the arguments. Final witness yeah. and closing argument. Freaking awesome! Freaking dramatic! What a dude. thrill! This is like genuinely thrilling to like. <laughs> yeah, well, I like. I'm psyched about. Uh, it's it's these are these are really fun to read and fun to talk about. And it's kind of like straightforward. There's no no more whimsical storytelling, like folksy yarns being weaved. You know, like it's like straight up drama. It's it, all it's all ugliness and and fear and and injustice. Like yeah. that's all it is. Yeah. And this unmitigated temerity. temerity. Get ready for that. Oh baby. Can't wait. Um so we start off with with uh Tom Robinson being sworn in. And don't you love this? Just the this image bed of like really driving it in that his yeah. arm doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. It's like we're getting beaten over the head with the fact that Tom Robinson needs to lift his arm. Wait, it's his left arm though. Did you is that you put your left hand? Yes, you put your left hand in the Bible and you put your right hand in the air. Yeah. So he is almost. It would be comic in any other situation. He is having to lift up his limp left arm hand and put it on the Bible. Just flop it down on yeah. the Bible. Like really driving home the fact that this guy is a righty. Yes. This is not a guy who would hit a woman's left side of her face. Call the major leagues. We got a right-hander. We got a righty. Yes. It's uh, flopping off the table like a dead fish. Yeah. No. So yeah, and then even Judge Taylor gets uh, like <laughs> impatient. He goes, "That'll do, Tom." <laughs> yeah, the guy who's like he's pretty into propriety and stuff like that. He's like, "That's fine. That's fine." No, you got it. <laughs> Just leave it right there. Yeah, Tom. Great. It keeps falling off. He's like <laughs> picking it up, and but like a Woody, it would be a Woody Allen bit of like <laughs> exactly like yeah. But it's like such such fear based <laughs> scene. We get some basic facts. He's twenty five. He's got two, oh, three kids. I'm twenty five. I got no kids. No kids. What's wrong with you? I know. Well, you haven't had been to court for rape either. Um. Yes, have not had that happen. <laughs> <laughs> just want to just really bring home the point. That well, did not happen. We'll edit all of this out. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, you got 30 days for disorderly to conduct. Uh, so that's that's all the, the basic facts we get about Tom. Yeah. And uh, Atticus asks him about it. He replies, you know, like the man tried to cut me, blah, blah, blah. Um he just couldn't pay the fine. Couldn't pay the fine to leave, so he had to stay in jail for thirty days. So that also drives home the fact that he is poor. This is a poor man. Right. He has three children and a wife. He's twenty-five. He's he works in fields. Helps out with Mr. Linkdees. Right. And so like, and and it's kind of unknown why why this is being brought up until Dill leans over to ask Jem, and Jem says uh, Atticus was showing the jury that Tom had nothing to hide. So like, if he'll say these kind of embarrassing things about his actual criminal history, yeah. if he'll be honest about this. Maybe he'll be honest about what happened with Miss Yule. Yes. All right. So, and then we get his side of the story, uh, and it is a different story. (laughs) 
Not the same at all. Right. So, yeah, he's being asked basic questions about, yeah, where he works. He has to pass the Yules to get to work. Is there any other way to go? No, there's no way other way to go. Um, they they really love playing around with this shift robe. Shift a robe, which is like a what a big dresser, or like yeah, a wardrobe. A I've yeah. only seen it in this book. And yeah, I know. And I, people don't want to use it anymore because it just makes them think of this book. <laughs> <laughs> Bust up a shift robe. Bust up a shift robe. Um, yeah, it's interesting. He's he. Atticus uh, asks, "When did she ask you to chop up the the shift robe, Mister Finch?" It was the very last. It was way last spring. I remember it because I was chopping time and I had my hoe with me. Um. And he did it for free. So, like, already we're having a thing where Miss um, Yule says that right before the incident on I'll, 21st. I'll, I'll, A-N word, I'll give you a nickel if you yeah. bust up the ship rope. Yeah. And he's saying that was last spring, and he did it for free. And he did it for And then not only that, that he, he continued lots of times to do work for her for free. Um, yeah. See, yeah, well, um, I went lots of times. And then under so under what circumstances? And he's like, what? Well, I, I don't understand. He's like, why'd you go inside the fence lots of times? Um, and she paints a portrait. Of, she calls him in to help with a lot of little things. The children don't help. Her dad doesn't help. So Tom is a nice guy. When he walks by, she goes, Hey, can you do this? Hey, can you do that? Right. Um, yeah. And it's kind of her only real outside contact with the world is Tom Robinson walking by. Right, there's that sad thing. Um, right, so yeah, this is actually a, this is a, uh, a conclusion Scout comes to on her own. As Tom Robinson gave his testimony, it came to me that Maya Yule must have been the loneliest person in the world. She was even lonelier than Boo Radley. Boo Radley did come back in a, in a comparison to yeah. Maya Yule. Um, when Atticus asked had she had any friends, she seemed not to know what he meant. Then she thought he was making fun of her. She was as sad, I thought, as what Jem called a mixed child. Oh yeah. So um, it's funny when like the non-racist people are act are like racist. Oh, sorry. When the pe- when like like uh, yeah, even like Scout's problematic or Atticus is problematic, yeah. and like and then Alexandra is is racist, but she's polite racist and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, like right, even like right, like like Scout and Atticus are held up against. And Alexandra as not being racist, but like here it's like she's like a mixed child. Uh, white people wouldn't have anything to do with her because she lived among pigs. Negroes wouldn't have anything to do with her because she was white. Um, yes, uh, but also even Tom brings it up. She watered them red flowers every day. Yeah. So like even he notices this about her. The gera- geraniums. Yeah. The uh, it's like her saving grace, kind of. It's like yeah. her. Um, it's a it's a diamond in the rough, as we discussed. It's kind of like a signal of like. There is something decent in this woman. Yeah, it's she like did, she is striving to transcend her circumstances. Yeah, it's her. It's her. It's sign of her humanity and her um, morality or something. Yeah, it's her little piece of God. Um, yeah, but this is a kind of a long. This long paragraph that uh, Scout is co- sort of analyzing the Yules and Tom Robinson's sort of um, p- position in her life. Um, Maycomb, so about, about the Yules, Scott says, Maycomb gave them Christmas baskets, welfare money, and the back of its hand. Um, what do you make of that? Like, uh, the Yules are are like their charity case. They're given charity, and they're kind of scoffed upon. But yeah, but they're not they're not addressed. Like, the ones that aren't the father are still kind of like, well, but yeah, we were nice to you, but kind of like stay away. Like, yeah. There isn't, like, there's Christmas bas- baskets, but there's not invitations to Christmas parties. There's not... 
I mean, the, the social worker goes out there, but like, where's the neighbors going out there? Or it's like, so like, what? Like, essentially, they go out there to make sure the kids go to school, and when they don't, they kind of give up on them. They right. go, okay, like you are town outcast, and we don't want to deal with you because you're trash. And a lot of it is like it's adds that nurture nature, like the systemic problems versus like the personality problems. And it's like, oh, yeah, so like that Mr. Yule is a, is a rough character. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's also like there's this, there's a lovely young woman who needs a lot of help and could use like neighborly help more than like a social worker making kids go to school and they're not there. Right. And Tom Robinson, yeah, Tom Robinson is there doing those things that, that they need and doing it for nothing. Yes. So it's just kind of like a sad, everyone in this story is sad. The only, the only <laughs> villain that's Mr. Yule is the villain because he did in, in the version of fence that I believe in this fictional story did the, the assault. Yes. Uh, but, like, it's all, like, this is just the ugliest part of... And that's what's so interesting is that, like, this book is not just dre- addressing uh, racism and the the plight of the injustice to black people in, in the court systems in the South. It's, like, there's also a lot of very, very poor white people who are who are not given the treatment they deserve as well. Yeah. Yeah. Like, they're, they are technically, you know, above the black people, like, in status, you know, but effectively... Like the Yules are living in the same conditions as the people down the street, the black people down the street. And probably even worse because like they're they they go to work and stuff like that. Right, people down the street. Right, they're yeah they're at, they need they're asking for help from Tom Robinson. Yeah. So finally, Atticus asks Tom, "What happened to you on the evening of November twenty first of last year?" And below us, the spectators drew a collective breath and leaned forward. So like <gasps> everything in the courtroom was like, "All right, here we go." Yeah, here it comes. Um, so yeah, so the, like, so Tom's, uh, account of it is essentially, um, she asks him one more thing to do, right? It's a, it's a door. A, There's a, a door hinge. Yeah. Door hinge. Um, and, uh, look at, please come inside and look at the door. I said, Miss Mail, this door look all right. I put, I pulled it back and forth and those hinges was all right. Then she shut the door in my face, Mr. Finch. I was wondering why it was so quiet-like, and it come to me that there was a, weren't a child in the place, not not a one of them. And I said, Miss Mayella, where are the chillin'? I said, where are the chillin'? And she says, she was laughing sort of, she said they all gone town to get ice cream, she says. Took me, <laughs> took me a slap here to save seven nickels, but I'd done it. They all gone to town. Um, and he said something like, why, Miss Mayella, that's right, smart of you to treat him. And she said, you think so? I don't think she understood what I was thinking. I meant it was smart of her to say like that and nice of her to treat him. So what's happened is what? So she concocted a plan for a long time that Tom's going to come by and I'm going to send the kids to get ice cream. So and they'll we'll finally have, be alone. We'll be finally be alone. And she's like, come inside and fix this door. Door's not wrong. She yeah. closes the door. And even he's like, oh, that was nice of you, like smart of you. To, and she's like, yeah, you're in on this plan too. You want you wanted to be right. alone. And she's like, no, 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 no. I just thought it's nice of you to get the kids ice cream. <laughs> so then, yeah, continuing in the in his account, uh, Tom says that the, she asked him to take a, a thing off of a high shift robe, another shift robe, not the one that was chopped yeah. up. <laughs> <laughs> not the same shift robe, yeah. Just so shiffer robe, <laughs> shiffer robe. <laughs> it's a piece of furniture that only happens, that only occurs in Macomb, Alabama. Yes, for chopping up, and it's for setting up uh, weird assaults. It's for a couple things, you know. Yes, you could put clothes in it, you can burn it, or you could use it to set up. You could bust it up. 
it's only a few things you can use it for. Um, so I still like that Atticus jokes, not the same shift rope you busted up, and then the, and then the witness smiled. So Tom was like, "That's pretty funny, Mister Fitch." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to be assaulted by a woman, <laughs> <laughs> and in the white woman, no less, in the south. So you know, it's really complicated, but pretty good joke. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, no, another shift rope. So, yeah, what happened after he turned the chair over, Atticus asks. Tom Robinson had come to a dead stop. He glanced at Atticus, then at the jury, then at Mr. Underwood sitting across the room. Tom, you've sworn to tell the whole truth. Will you tell it? Tom ran his hand nervously over his mouth. What happened after that? Answer the question, said Judge Taylor. Mr. Finch, I got down off the chair and turned around, and she sort of jumped on me. Jumped on you? Violently? No, sir. She hugged me. She hugged me around the waist. So th- this time, Mr. Judge Taylor's gavel came down with a bang. So um, th- th- it's caused uh, a ruckus in the courtroom, yeah. what he said. And as it did, the overhead lights went on in the courtroom. So, like, there was this, mo- like, it's literally a change in, in like, the scene has changed. Right, because, the, yeah, because, like, just the, it happened, the sun had left the windows, the clouds are kind of covering us, they need the light. Things are getting more serious. The accusation that she has started to attempt to seduce him. Yes, uh, continuing on, then what did she do? She reached up and kissed me, kissed me my side of the face. She says she never kissed a grown man before, and she might as well kiss an N-word. She says what her papa do to her don't count. She says kiss me back N-word. I say Miss Mayel, let me out of here, and tried to run, but she got her back to the door, and I had to push her. I didn't want to harm her, Mister Finch, and I say let me pass. But just when I say it, Mister Yule yonder hollered through the window. What did he say? Something not fitting to say, not fitting for these folks and ch- children to hear. What did he say, Tom? You must tell a jury what he said. He says, you goddamn whore, I'll kill you. Then what happened? Mr. Finch, I was running so fast, I didn't know what happened. Tom, did you rape Mayela Yule? I did not, sir. Did you harm her in any way? I did not, sir. Did you resist her advances? Mr. Finch, I tried. I tried to without being ugly to her. I didn't want to be ugly. I didn't want to push her or nothing. And this is kind of a... Uh, a, a scout reflection of it co- occurred to me in the in their own way. Tom Robinson's manners were as good as Atticus's. Until my father explained it to me later, I did not understand the subtlety of Tom's predicament. He would not have dared to strike a white woman under any circumstances and expect to live long. So he took the first opportunity to run, a sure sign of guilt. Right, we're getting a lot more of the adult scout reflection in this chapter than we did in the last chapter. Yes, and that's also yeah. I mean, it's a good point. That's like a t- 1930s Alabama, and like. Like, you either have to break a taboo, you're, like, stuck between two taboos or right. a sure sign of guilt. So like <laughs> Right. It's a tough spot. Yeah. Tom, go back once more to Mr. Ewell. Did he say anything to you? Not anything, sir. He might have said something, but I weren't there. That'll do. What you did, he- what you did, he, what, oops, sorry, uh, what you did here, who was he talking to? Mr. Finch, you were talking and looking at Miss Mayella. Then you ran. I sure did, sir. Why did you run? I was scared, sir. Why were you scared? Mr. Finch, if you was an N-word like me, you'd be scared too. So Atticus sits down, and then Mr. Link Dees, uh, Tom's <laughs> employer, <laughs> Tom's employer stands up and says, I just want the whole lot of you to know one thing right now. That boy's worked for me eight years, and I ain't had a speck of trouble out of him. Not a speck. <laughs> and then Judge Taylor basically stands up and goes, shut the hell up! <laughs> <laughs> Shut your mouth, sir. It's pink in the face. So Pink it, in the face, wide awake and roaring. 
His speech was miraculously unimpaired, but he didn't take out a cigar to scream at Link yeah. Dees. Yeah, it's still in his mouth. Link Dees, if you have anything you want to say, you can say it under oath and at the proper time. But until then, you get out of this room, you hear me? Get out of this room, sir, you hear me? I'll be damned if I'll listen to this case again. <laughs> yeah, he gets, he gets kicked out of the uh, courtroom. Yes. And how about this? Judge Taylor looked at Daggers at Atticus as if daring him to speak, but Atticus had ducked his head and was laughing into his lap. Yeah. This doesn't seem like Atticus to me. It is a little weird moment. He's like so, I mean, he's been so focused this whole trial. Yeah. And he's a composed guy in general. Yeah. To lose his composure <laughs> at this moment, it means a lot. Yeah. One as well, like, just like, probably one is emotional to see it like, Someone stood up and yelled after his like very serious speech, and it's like they're a very serious examination, um, right? And that's kind of funny. And then he, this judge that he's worked with his whole life, losing his cool and like the image of him pink faced, cigar still in mouth, right. probably right. probably tobacco spit running down his face, uh, and then the judge waiting for anyone else to challenge him, especially <laughs> Atticus. It's like. Oh, this is kind of amusing. Right. It's, something As, it's funny like about an it. old professional watching like a, a weird thing happen. Yeah. Yeah. But it's still, yeah, kind of strange. And it doesn't sound like he's got like going, ha, ha, ha. It sounds like he's just kind He can't. Yeah, yeah. He can't. Yeah. He's like trying to c- contain his composure. Like watching um, your buddies bombing an open mic. <laughs> like, oh, this is a, little, a moment of uh, kind of raw <laughs> exposure. Laugh. Yeah. Um, also, I'm sure Atticus is kind of relieved at what he what what uh, Link Dees is saying because like it's like yeah it's true like the the community should be on on Tom's side here yeah I yeah I won over uh, an employer the employer so it's like kind of like yeah I I convinced one person that Tom is in the right so much so that he got kicked out of court for it oh yeah and then it's also I think it's this. Taylor's, uh, I remembered something he had said about Judge Taylor's ex-cathedral remarks sometimes exceeding his duty, but that few lawyers ever did anything about them. So it's kind of like this judge, like, will yell. At He's a bit of a talker. Yeah. yeah. He makes, yeah, yeah, he makes statements uh, from the judge's, uh, from from his uh, judge's seat, from the yeah. bench. and he puts a lot of personality in them. Yeah, yeah, he's, uh, which is like, I mean, for a novel, it's what you want, is you want kind of a, you want kind of a fun, uh, talky judge, so yeah. I'm glad he's no. doing that. Yeah, you can't have a boring, boring judge, you need no. Judge Judy to handle this case. Exactly, someone with a little bit of sass, and I think he is doing that. Um, so now it's time for the cross-examination, and Mr. Gilmer gets up, so here we go, I'll be Mr. Gilmer. You were given 30 days f- once for disorderly conduct, Robinson? Yes, sir. What's that N-word look like when you, when you got through with him? He beat me, Mr. Gilmer. Yes, but you were convicted, weren't you? It was a misdemeanor, and it's in the record, Judge. That's Atticus. Yeah. And a witness will answer, though, said Judge Taylor, just as wearily. <laughs> 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 yes, sir, I got 30 days. Robinson, you're pretty good at busting up ship ropes. <laughs> <laughs> busting we should take a drink every time we have to say ship robe. I'd like, I'd yeah, like if you want, if you're listening at home, anytime we say Shifarobe, you got to take a drink. Yeah, go back. Uh, Shifarobe. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. I reckon so. Oh, strong enough to choke the breath out of a woman and sling her to the floor? I never done that, sir. But you are strong enough to? I reckon so, sir. Had you ride her a long time, hadn't you, boy? No, sir. I never looked at her. Then you were mighty polite to do all that chopping and hauling for her, weren't you, boy? I was just trying to help her out, sir. That was mighty generous of you. You had chores at home after your regular work, didn't you? Yes, sir. 
Why didn't you do them instead of Mrs. Yule's? I did them both, sir. You must have been pretty busy. Why? Why what, sir? Why were you so anxious to do that woman's chores? Looked like she didn't have nobody to help her, like I said. With Mr. Yule and seven children on the place, boy? Well, it, sa- uh, it says it looked like they never helped her none. You did all this shopping and work for sh- from sheer goodness, boy. Tried to help her, I says. You're a mighty good fellow, it seems. Did all this for not one penny? Yes, sir. I felt right sorry for her. She seemed to try more than the rest you of them. You felt sorry for her. You felt sorry for her? And that was the big faux pas he just did. Uh, yeah, yeah nobody w- liked Tom Robinson's answer. Mr. Gilmer paused a long time to let it sink in. Now that Gilmer again. Now you went to buy the house as usual last November 21st, and she asked you to come in and bust up a shiver rope. <laughs> no, sir. Did you deny that you went by the house? No, sir. She said that she had something for you to do inside the house. She says that you asked... She says she asked you to bust up a shift rope. <laughs> Is that right? No, sir. It isn't. Then you say she's lying, boy. Uh, I don't say she's lying, Mr. Gilmer. I say she's mistaken in her mind. Didn't Mr. Ewell run you off the place, boy? No, sir. I don't think he did. Don't you think? Don't think? What do you mean? I mean, I didn't stay long enough for him to run me off. You're very candid about this. Why did you run so fast? I says I was scared, sir. If you had a clear conscience, why were you scared? Like I says before, it weren't safe for any N-word to be in a fix like that. But you weren't in the fix. You testified that you were resisting Mr. Ewell. When you were so scared, were you so scared she'd hurt you? You ran, a big buck like you? No, sir. I was scared I'd be in court, just like I am now. Scared of arrest. Scared you'd have to face up to what you did. No, sir. Scared I'd have to face up to what I didn't do. Are you being impudent to me, boy? No, sir. I don't. I didn't go to be. So, yeah. So that's the that's as much as Gilmer. That's as much as we uh, we hear from about Gilmer's cross examination because Dill runs out and Scout chases her. No, Him? Dill is sobbing. Oh, Dill sobbing, and then they have to leave. And then Jem's like, Scout, take him outside. I will make you take him outside. <laughs> right. Because Jem's super into it, this is like it's like a it's like a sports match for Jem. He's watching it so closely. Yeah, he's, he's like, like ah, corroborating evidence. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Another point for us. Good job, Atticus. Um, yeah. So yeah, what's what it was odd to me upon reading this um, was like how mean Gilmer is when he seemed kind of cordial in the first couple witnesses, right? Uh yeah, I mean, and they talk about it outside. And Scout's point is that he is cross-examining. It is his. Uh, job to kind of f- like what's fluster the uh right the defense witness he's got to do the best he can yes um but i was a little surprised as well and it seems like dill was taken. yeah dill was like sobbing it and it's and scout is like used to this and also kind of is still as southern mike she says i think a little bit later like he is just a negro like what are you crying about yeah 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 again with the with the um like scout being racist uh even when uh it's like so She's yeah. the hero, yeah. So I think, well, like, Mr. Gilmer also, like, has to protect his reputation of, like, like he can't be seen not defending white supremacy. Right, you can't, yeah, yeah. Like, literally, yeah. so he has to be, so, I mean, Atticus was, like, has been almost, like, almost killed over this. Right, Atticus is kind of, like, wildin' doing his thing where yeah. he's trying at he's, all. Yeah, yeah. And it's wild, yeah. So, uh, yeah, in that light, you have to think about, like, Gilmer is just doing the status quo. So if Gilmer loses this one, like, now he's going to have trouble. Right. 
And so and like so he has no case. Like Gilmer knows that he's smart. You saw him interview the other people. He even makes Mayola really establish how hard she fought him off and stuff like that. When that's cut, like she later says she didn't fight fight too hard. She's right. too, uh, so he, he he knows like I like he needs to do just enough to show that like these people are are wrong, but just well enough that we'd still convict Tom. Like he's in a tough spot. I think it's kind of thing where like white supremacy hurts like white people too, where they've been trapped in these situations for societal needs. Yeah, yeah. Um, Anywho, this upsets Dill. He's uh, he's outside. He's crying. Uh, Dill tries to pull himself together as we ran down the south steps. Mister Link D's was a lonely figure on the top step. <laughs> Well, you think his name is funny? Why do you keep laughing Link D's? I think it. I just love the figure of the guy who got kicked out. He's still hanging out. Just wants to. <laughs> just wants to know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. He does like. What's going on in there? Anything happening, Scout? No, sir. I answered over my shoulder. Dill here. He's sick. Come out on under the trees. He'd got you. I expect. And then Dill reveals it was Mister Gilmore that made him upset. Right, Dill. That's his job. Why, if we didn't have prosecutors, well, we couldn't have defense attorneys. I reckon. I know all that, Scout. It was the way he said it make me made me plain sick. He's supposed to act that way, Dill. He was cross. He didn't act that oh. way when... Dill, those were his own witnesses. Well, Mr. Finchston acted that way to Mayella and old mean Ewell when he, he cross-examined them. The way that man called him boy all the time and sneered at him and looked around at the jury every time he answered. Well, Dill, after all, he's just a Negro. I don't care one speck. It ain't right. Somehow it ain't right to do him that way. Hasn't anybody got any business talking like that? It just makes me sick. That's just Mr. Gilmer's way, Dill. He does them all that way. You never seen him get a good and get good and down on one yet. Why? When? Well, today Mr. Gilmer seemed to me like he wasn't half trying. They do them all that way. Most lawyers, I mean. Mr. Finch doesn't. He's not an example, Dill. He's uh, he's the same in the courtroom as he is in the public streets. That's not what I mean. I know. Oh, I know what you mean, boy. Said a voice behind us. We thought it came from a tree trunk, but it belonged to Mr. Dolphus Raymond. He peered around the trunk at us. You aren't thin-hided. It just makes you sick, doesn't it? So now they are being addressed by the controversial... Dolphus Raymond. Dolphus Raymond. Right, who lives with a, among the Negroes with a Negro wife and et cetera, yeah. as, it, as it said in the novel. Yes, a black wife and yes. a, uh, half black children, and they all kind of roam around. He's, he's from an old family. And he's got some money, so he's allowed to do it. Right. This is the yeah. Just to review, this is the guy who like they saw you know going drunk down the street with his like uh, his mixed children and yada yada yada. He lives with um, uh, yeah. He lives like pretended a, to almost be falling off the horse. Like, yeah. Yeah. Such or, an interesting spoiler. Pretend to. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. But this is like interesting. Yeah. I, I really like hearing this perspective. It's kind of an interesting uh, little sidebar we have with Dolphus Raymond. Um, and that's the break in the chapters. This is kind of towards the end here. I like how like the chapters break on like something happens. It's like a good Netflix show. It's like something happens right before the credits roll, and yeah. so you want to watch the next one. Yeah. No, you're like, oh shit, that's I gotta get started yeah. on the next chapter. <laughs> oh man, I guess I'll stay up for one more. Yeah. Um, come on around here, son. I got something that'll settle your stomach. And Dolphus Raymond, <laughs> Dolphus Raymond was an evil man. I accepted his invitation reluctantly, but I followed <laughs> Dill. Somehow I didn't think Atticus would like it if we became friendly with Mr. Raymond, and I knew Aunt Alexandra wouldn't. I love that sentence. As Mr. Dolphus Raymond was an evil man, <laughs> I accepted his invitation reluctantly. <laughs> so he is an evil man, and you accept his invitation. Yeah. Right, that's definitely like, a, it's like sort of a tongue-in-cheek, uh, Harperly yeah. uh, as scout thing. I kind of like that. Um, so yeah, as soon as he gets over to that tree, Dolphus Raymond goes here. 
Take a good sip. It'll quiet you. Dill sucked on the straws, smiled, and pulled at length. Hee-hee, said Mr. Raymond, evidently <laughs> taking delight in corrupting a child. <laughs> this is, like, hilarious. Yes. Dill, you watch out now. Dill released his straws and grinned. Scout, it's nothing but Coca-Cola. Boom, the big revelation. What? What? In a brown paper bag? You little folks won't tell on me now, will you? Can I do this for the... Yeah, <laughs> go ahead. Well, tell on me now, will you? It'd ruin my reputation if you did. You mean all you drink in that sack's Coca-Cola? Just plain Coca-Cola? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I drink most of the time. Then you just pretend you're half... I beg your pardon, sir. I didn't mean to be... Mr. Raymond chuckled, not at all offended, and I tried to, do, to frame a discreet question, and this is my favorite line of the entire novel. Kevin, what do you say we say it together? Okay. Why do, do you do like you do? Like you do? <laughs> <laughs> well, can I, I'll put this delicately. Why do you do like you do? <laughs> <laughs> why do you do like you do? Why do you do like you do? Well, oh, yes, you mean the way, why do I pretend? Well, it's very simple. Some folks don't. Like the way I live. Now I could, now I could say the hell with them. I don't care if they don't like it. I do say I don't care if they don't like it. Right enough, but I don't say the hell with them. See? No, sir. <laughs> <laughs> See what I mean? No, sir. Yeah, that's not, that's very fair. It's <laughs> very funny. I try to give them a reason, you see. It helps folks that they can latch on to a reason. When I come to town, which is seldom, if I weave a little and drink out of this sack, folks can say, Dolphus Raymond's in the clutches of whiskey. That's why he won't change his ways. He can't help himself. That's why he lives the way he does. That ain't honest, Mr. Raymond, making yourself out better than you it are. It ain't honest, but it's mighty helpful to folks. Secretly, Miss Finch, I'm not much of a drinker. But you see, they could never, never understand that I live like I do because that's the way I want to live. <laughs> I'm having a blast, as you can tell. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I never counted a, a being who deliberately perpetrated fraud against himself, but why had he entrusted us with his deepest secret? I asked him why. Because you're children, and you can understand it. And because I heard that one... Yeah, he jerked his head things, at Dill. Yeah, things haven't caught up with that one's instinct yet. Let him get a little older, and he won't get sick and cry. Maybe maybe things will strike him as being not quite right, say, but he won't cry. Not when he gets a few years on him. Cry about what, Mr. Raymond? Cry about the simple hell people give other people without even thinking. Cry about the hell white people give colored folks without even stopping to think that they're people too. Atticus says cheating a colored man is ten times worse than cheating a white man. Says it's the worst thing you can do. I don't reckon it's... Miss Jean Louise, you don't know your pa's not a run-of-the-mill man. It'll take ye a few years for you to that to sink in. <laughs> you haven't seen enough of this world yet. You haven't seen this town. But all you gotta do is step in, back inside the courthouse. Alright, I'm having too much... I had too much fun with it. But thanks <laughs> for bearing with me. Yes. So, Dolphins Raymond's insight into life in a small town is that he wants to live differently and it'll it'll be a thing that they constantly bother him about yeah if he doesn't give them a, a reason to think he's beyond saving yeah okay right so it's kind of like he knows they're gonna want an explanation so he gives them a simple one and that way he doesn't need they don't they can in that way they don't need to expand the horizons of their thought like it's like oh that explains his weird behavior 
he's a drunk. Yeah. So that way, he's just a drunk. He's just a drunk. He made bad choices. We can't help him. He fits into that little box. He's categorized. Yes. Like, he behaves as though he is drunk. He is a drunk man. But if he was a sober soul like good person who was out about town and also had a black wife and black right. children. That would be like, too much. It would be like, well, what do we do with this? They like, wouldn't know what to do. Because then, then you like him and you're like, but yeah, it like it shatters your worldview too much. Right. So he's like, yeah, for the sake of everybody, I don't, I, he says like, I don't say to hell with them. He's like, these people are nice. They are just got, they're, they're just by design cruel to colored people. Uh, so I want to make them think that, uh, that there's something wrong with me so I can live how I want and they don't bother me or it doesn't hurt them. Yeah. The question I want to ask is why, uh, why is this, what, what, is, what is the purpose of this little vignette in the middle of the courtroom scene to get this little aside with Dolphus Russell, Dolphus Raymond? I, I think it's a little bit is to break up the uh, sort of the sense of like that there's one, that the South has a, a, like un, a unanimous view on race relations. Um, there's, that to paint a wide range of 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 political racial beliefs of right. like you have you have Atticus who's who's be polite to everyone love everyone uh, the court of law every man's equal and that's about as far as he goes um, like he's good but he's like also like he's he's still like a like a a, a person who believes in he like he lives with white but like he has no problem being friends with racists uh, yeah yeah. Uh, you have Scout, who's uh, who grew up there, and is just like, yeah, I'd, I'd like my dad, and I don't, I. It's all kind of too much. I, I think fine folks are people who do the best with what they have. That's what I'm worried about, and like, I, I have all the racial, the, the easy racial biases that are easy to pass on the children, but I don't think about it too much. And Dolphus, Dolphus was always presented as like a, you know, a different way of behaving in a system. It's like, yeah, you can. There's there were white men in the South who loved. Black people, right? Here's someone who loved black people, right? Had like, black children, yeah, exactly. Uh, who thought they were, and that it was very cruel how the world treated them. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Like, yeah, he's like understanding how he comes off to the society, and he he's like yeah. he's fitting in by, uh, you know, standing out in this certain way. Like, this is how he's coping with his position. Yeah, it's the kind of thing where it's like you love your southern town, but it has huge deep flaws. Uh, so how do you make those? Two things; those paradoxical things coexist. Right. Uh, your love for your town, and its uh, antagonism towards the way you want to live. Um, and so he divide his strategy is to do make himself seem like a drunk, so that they hate him for an easy reason. Yeah, they write him off. Yeah, they he like he gives them the sword to stab him with. You know, like he's like here, this is my weakness. I'm a drunk. Yeah. It's a it's a little odd, and I yeah, and it's I I do think uh, there's something to having it right here. I mean, like, right. I mean, the, we're looking at a different perception of the town on one person, like the way the town is judged one man, mm-hmm. um, uh, and we're about to see how they judge Tom Robinson. You know, so like it's like the town versus one person kind of thing. Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. It's an interesting aside, and it's it's kind of it feels it feels magical. It feels kind of fun and secret. Yeah. And you're like, oh, here's my little secret. Yeah, he has a little secret about the town. We like all the town characters have <clears throat> are more complicated than they're they're on the uh, the initial meeting. Yeah, and then it's it's moving to Dill because Dill is like, oh, like I am, I am sensitive to the cruelty. Right. You know what? Yeah, we haven't touched on the fact that like this is kind of a sweet moment for Dill, who's like sensitive to cruelty in a way that 
everyone else in the courtroom didn't burst out into tears. He's the yeah. only one who couldn't handle it. Yeah. You get like everyone else is used to it or yeah. like thinks that it's normal. Right. And and as Mr. Raymond points out, like eventually that goes away. You won't burst into tears. Yeah. You'll just feel like uneasy. If you're lucky, it's like yeah. maybe you'll feel a little uneasy. You yeah. Know, like, but you won't burst into tears. And he's like, but this is a sensitive child, and he's he's he has the right view of things. It's yeah. not right how we give each other hell. Yeah. So yeah, it is a very sweet moment, uh, a very strange moment, but just a little bit of good writing on like drama outside the courthouse. <laughs> yeah, right. It's a cool little like interlude, and then they go right back into the court courthouse. They're about to start the closing arguments. Yes. Scouts like Jim, what I miss, and Jim's like, shut up, shut up. Uh, you, you, all this, all the usual stuff, right? Basically, uh. Nothing new, just the usual hush now. Yes, and so Atticus gets into his closing speech. Yeah, but before he does that, he does something I never saw him do before or since, in public or in private. He unbuttoned his vest, unbuttoned his collar, loosened his tie, and took off his coat. He never loosened a scrap of his clothing until he undressed at bedtime. And to Jem and me, this is the equivalent of him standing before us stark naked. We exchanged horrified glances. <laughs> What's going on here? I mean, like, he's trying to relate to them or something? Or he's like, let's go. Yeah, he's like, I, I see it as like, because he really hams it up in his dramatic way of like right. looking out the window, walking back and forth, not looking back when it's like, oh, but acknowledging he already knew what happened behind him yeah yeah yeah. like he's a secret ham like <laughs> right right he's like yeah he is playing to the crowd but he's not ham yeah he's not hamming it up he's like a subtle yeah, yeah. he's subtly performing and so much of this is like is jury manipulation because he knows he is against the mountain of just white bias yeah and like white supremacy and just sort of code of conduct within this uh, within this town and so he really has to pull out everything and it's like Gentlemen, I am exhausted from trying to present this information. To yeah. You. Yeah. He's trying to like be relatable and be like, I'm giving it at my all. I am. A, I'm being vulnerable or like at least fake vulnerable about like, hey, like, look, like I need you guys to do the right thing. Yeah. I implore you, please. I implore you. Um. And then he starts his, uh, his famous speech. Here we go. God. God. Cue the music. Gentlemen, I shall be brief, but I would like to use my remaining time with you to remind you that this case is not a difficult one. It requires no minute sifting of complicated facts, but it does require you to be sure beyond all reasonable doubt as to the guilt of the defendant. To begin with, this case should never have come to trial. This case is as simple as black and white. The state has not produced one iota of medical evidence to the effect of the crime Tom Robinson is charged with ever took place. It has relied instead upon the testimony of two witnesses whose evidence has not only been called into serious question on cross-examination, but has been flatly contradicted by the defendant. The defendant is not guilty, but somebody in this courtroom is. I have nothing but pity in my heart for the chief witness for the state. But my pity does not extend so far as to her putting a man's life at stake, which she has done in an effort to get rid of her own guilt. I say guilt, gentlemen, because it was guilt that motivated her. She has committed no crime, but she has merely broken a rigid and time-honored code of our society, a code so severe that whoever breaks it is hounded from our midst as unfit to live with. 
She is the victim of cruel poverty and ignorance. But I cannot pity her. She is white. She knew full well the enormity of her offense. But because her desires were stronger than the code she was breaking, she persisted in breaking it. She persisted, and her subsequent reaction is something that all of us have known at one time or another. She did something every child has done. She tried to put the evidence of her offense away from her. But in this case, she was no child. She was no chiding. <clears throat> but in this case, she was no child hiding stolen contraband. She stuck out at her victim. Of necessity, she must put him away from her. He must be removed from her presence, from the, this world. She must destroy the evidence of her offense. What was the offense? What was the evidence of her offense? Tom Robinson, a human being. She must put Tom Robinson away from her. Tom Robinson was her daily reminder of what she did. What did she do? She tempted a Negro. She was white, and she tempted a Negro. She did something that in our society is unspeakable. She kissed a black man. Not an old uncle, but a strong young Negro man. No code mattered to her before she broke it, but it came crashing down on her afterwards. Her father saw it, and the defendant has testified as to his remarks. What did her father do? We don't know, but there is circumstantial evidence to indicate that Mayala Ewell was beaten savagely by someone who led almost exclusively with his left. We do know in part what Mr. Ewell did. He did what any God-fearing, persevering, respectable white man would do under the circumstances. He swore out a warrant, no doubt signing it with his left hand, and Tom Robinson now sits before you, having taken the oath with the only good hand he possesses, his right hand. And so a quiet, respectable, humble Negro who had the unmitigated temerity to feel sorry for a white woman has had to put his word against two white peoples. I need not remind you of their appearance and conduct on the stand. You saw them for yourselves. The witnesses for the state, with the exception of the sheriff of Macomb County, have presented themselves to you, gentlemen, to this court, in the cynical confidence that their testimony would not be doubted, confident that you gentlemen would go along with them on the assumption, the evil assumption, that all Negroes lie, that all Negroes are basically immoral beings, that all Negro men are not to be trusted around our women, an assumption one associates with minds of their caliber. Which... Gentlemen, we know is in itself a lie as black as Tom Robinson's skin. A lie I do not have to point out to you. You know the truth, and the truth is this. Some Negroes lie, some Negroes are immoral. Some Negro men are not to be trusted around women, black or white. But this is a truth that applies to the human race and to no particular race of men. There is not a person in this courtroom who has never told a lie, who has never done an immoral thing, and there is no man living who has never looked upon a woman without desire. One more thing, gentlemen, before I quit. Thomas Jefferson once said that all men are created equal, a phrase that the Yankees and the distaff side of the ex executive branch in Washington are fond of hurling at us. There is a tendency in this year of grace, 1935, for certain people to use this phrase out of context, to satisfy all conditions. The most ridiculous example I can think of is that the people who run public education promote the stupid and idle along with the industrious, because all men are created equal. Educators will gravely tell you that children left behind suffered terrible feelings of inferiority. We know all men are not created equal, 
in a sense some people would have us believe. Some people are smarter than others. Some people have more opportunity because they're born with it. Some men make more money than others. Some ladies make better cakes than others. Some people are born gifted beyond the normal scope of most men. But there is one way in this country in which all men are created equal. There is one human institution that makes a pauper the equal of a Rockefeller. The stupid man the equal of an Einstein. And the ignorant man the equal of any college president. That institution, gentlemen, is a court. It can be the Supreme Court of the United States or the humblest JP court in the land or this honorable court which you serve. Our courts have their faults, as does any human institution. But in this country, our courts are the greatest levelers. And in our courts, all men are created equal. I am no idealist to believe firmly in the integrity of our courts and in the jury system. There is no ideal to me. It is living, working reality. Gentlemen, a court is no better than each man of you sitting before me on this jury. A court is only as sound as its jury, and the jury is only as sound as the men who make it up. I am confident that you gentlemen will review, without passion, the evidence that you have heard. Come to a decision, and restore this defendant to his family. In the name of God, do your duty. That was long, huh? Yeah. That's uh, powerful, powerful words. Powerful words. Uh, yeah, he he invoked Jefferson. Um, I mean, he's sweating. At a certain point, they yeah. stopped for him to like wipe his head off. I had never seen him sweat before. Scout says, like he's doing a big stand-up special. Yeah, <laughs> he gets his sweat tell out. Um, also, I, uh, the other thing that made me think of this, um, the in w- the the way in which that these people who are the heroes of our story can also be kind of like biased and racist is like while invoking the thing about all men being created equal he brings up like some people are stupid and like uh they're like he he basically tells people like with special needs people who are like mentally handicapped and he's like they shouldn't go to school or like (laughs) like so like like, and some ladies make better cakes i know (laughs) yeah like that part was like that is hilarious where it's like where it's like you could see it's in a time and a place right it's like you know not women. All women are credit equal. Yeah, some of them make better or or have prettier dresses or hair. <laughs> <laughs> some of them have big old cans <laughs> and a, a juicy caboose. <laughs> <laughs> some of them marry better husbands, and that makes them better. Yeah. Uh, so it's funny how uh, the hypocrisy even in our heroes. But yes. Um, and yeah. also, it's kind of like that's a very noble sentiment and he is a working lawyer and he <coughs> believes in equality in, uh, in the courts it's also like the court also is probably one of the hotbeds of injustice of course <laughs> yeah I mean yeah I mean like as we've we, I mean like yeah in 35 of course it was you know I mean like I mean like we're still having those problems in 2019 you know yeah so uh, but all that aside yeah he's 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 you know appealing to a higher power and to like their higher morality. Yeah, pr- pr- founding principles of the American society. Right, and um, he's saying basically like like the the the, the 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 prosecutor's only argument is that it rests upon the assumption that like all black people are wrong and immoral beings. Like their only yeah, their he, only defense is racism. Like guys, these are white trash people that are trying to get off of doing a crime. Yeah, like, are you gonna let them? <laughs> white people could be bad too. Is essentially his like you you would only like. And it's set up this way too. Like Harper Lee's kind of given us a pretty cut and dry case. It's like yeah. it's almost like you would only um, convict Tom Robinson if you were a straight up racist. Yeah. So that's the only basis that you can do it. And Atticus basically just points that out. Yeah. In a long way. Yeah. No, absolutely. Like, look, I feel bad for her. She got beat by her father, 
but she also has tried to cover up it all by ending the life of a black man. Yeah. Oh, in the last sentence, we didn't cover the last sentence, Atticus's voice dropped, and as he turned away from the jury, he said something I did not catch. He said it more to himself than to the court. I punched Jem and asked him, what did he say? In the name of God, believe him. I think that's what he said. Uh, so like that's he he like kind of like finishes with in yeah. the name of God. In the name of God, him. we got God. We got Thomas Jefferson. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he does a little like old dad rant about the school system. <laughs> 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 He's like, what are the schools these days? You got the stupid people and you got <laughs> the smart people, and we're supposed to be like, oh, stupid people aren't smart people. What's the difference? <laughs> no. <laughs> That's Yankee bullshit. <laughs> Unmitigated temerity. <laughs> to feel sorry. Yeah. I'm excited to see the, that movie scene. Me too. I'm excited for the movie episode. Stay tuned. Yeah, God. Because like, this is like a great, like, I imagine being in that courtroom and like, uh, like, oh man, what an electric yeah. performance. <laughs> yeah, like he kills it. Like this, yeah, this scene is just made to be to be made into a movie. I wonder if Harper Lee even thought about that because it's like so dramatic and like basically she just like provides the dialogue and a little descriptions. Like it's yeah. like they're, they're, it's ready made for the screen. Yeah. A lot of very, lot of, lot of showing. A lot of showing. A lot of showing. So right at the end of the chapter, Calpurnia comes rushing in and another cliffhanger end of the chapter. Calpurnia is here. Calpurnia is here and she is moving very quickly to Atticus. Yeah. And that's it. That's all we get. That's all we're going to discuss. That's all we get. Stay tuned for our analysis of what happens next. Yes. Man, what a chapter. What a dramatic Dude. chapter. Dude. All that was building to that. And we kn- we knew none of that right before his testimony. Like, this yeah. case has been a year and a half, and at no point has Attic has been like, this is what they say, but this is what really happened. Or, True. Or, like, even the town doesn't know. Like, no one's like, like oh, this is what, like, they have to, like, they don't even, Scout doesn't even know what rape yeah. is, and that's, like, a, a month before the case. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, I think this is a, it's basically a function of, of, of Scout's narration is that we... We get none of that information. We almost like we we only hear the snippets that Scout hears, mm-hmm. um, and basically she gets like the most broad gossip the town has to offer, right? Yeah, no, and also like man, Atticus is <coughs> Super Bowl of like this is the biggest case of my life, and yeah. I am going to like I I'm in front of not only is it the biggest case of his life, it's in front of the whole town. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's yeah he has to call the whole town racist to their faces, dude. Yeah, man. What what a what an anxious performance to have to like be like all right here we go I have to one save this man's life from clear injustice and two look my town in the face and say it would be a grave mistake to go along with racist history ah <laughs> oh, man very powerful I mean these chapters it's like it's just I just enjoy them like just on the surface they're so fun it's not like we have to like dive right. too deep into like yeah. why is that like they're just naturally entertaining and it's based, she spent so much time getting to this point that we can just like basically get a bowl of popcorn and just like read these that's what it's felt like since the yeah exactly the, this, the courtroom scenes have been have been so enter- yeah entertaining and just like um, you're all set up to just totally, just totally enjoy. Just relax. You know everyone involved. Yes, you know Atticus. You know, you know, yeah, you know Yule. You know the situation. We know the tensions. You involved. know where, who Scout and Dill and and Jem are sitting with. Yeah. You, you know, like, yeah, you know the drunk hanging outside. And you you know, know, yeah, you know what kind of, yeah, Maycomb kind of is a character where, yeah, we, we kind of know what Maycomb thinks of, like the positions of, you know, like the yeah, they used Dolphus like to kind of like to show like. 
the the stratification of the classes of like of like where do they where they think white people belong and black people belong like yeah. what make home believes should be happening yeah and there was a rich guy who pretended to be drunk so he can marry his black wife yeah <laughs> yeah so yeah and also just like how complicated is this small town this 1930s Pleasantville small town <laughs> yeah 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 um yeah man what a what a what a piece of writing. Just like so, every sentence fun to read, and like you feel like you feel justice coursing through your veins, <laughs> and you know Atticus believes it. Like that's the, like we're set up so much to believe. To we we see Atticus at home in you know late at night, in the middle of the night, early in the morning. You know, we, yeah. like we know this is like his jam all the time. Yeah, and so to see him be able to like straight up just speak to speak from his heart about this, and not in any way be dishonest and also it's like him explaining himself to the town too the whole town's there and he's like this is why i had to do this right because you know yeah at at points we kind of pointed out where like his propriety would prevent him from truly letting his morals kind of like speak out right like yeah where it's like i'm not gonna be rude Uh, you're my neighbor and my morals are you can be kind to your neighbor but now I could. He's also like, I know later I'll have my chance to say I'll have the floor, and it's my job to have the floor, and yeah. I could say why I've worked so hard on this. Yeah, 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 exactly. He uh, he takes the time to yeah when he has the floor and he does, he really takes the time to drive that morality home. A thing he's been kind of hiding and kind of like not. Yeah, uh, just like a polite like, look, I don't want to fight every day for the next year and a half. I'll say my speech, and you guys will be like, wow, what a performance. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm excited to see uh, Gregory Peck. The verdict and the yeah, I, w- I can't wait to see the the movie. I mean, the movie. Yeah, this makes me want to watch the movie really badly. Because yeah. all I did was look up YouTube clips to to take out those things from the intro. Unmitigated temerity. Unmitigated temerity. <laughs> this man is not guilty, but someone in this courtroom is. Yeah, we'll uh, see you next episode, guys. Right, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, my name is Terrence Hartnett. Look me up on Instagram at Ha Hartnett. And I'm Kevin Lopkovich. Uh, just Google me and uh, oh, look, yeah. look up old stand-up clips or something. Yeah, they're fun. They're really great. Uh, Kev's a, he was a wonder kid. You can get him going back to when he was 16 years old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, thank you guys so much. Thanks, guys. See you soon. Bye-bye. <laughs>